0: Welcome back. To episode twelve of the South London Press Football Pod. Uh, another pretty quiet week for our clubs in South London. Rich, uh, just the one signing at Millwall. Palace bidding for two players. AFC Wimbledon suffering a pretty heavy defeat at Milton Keynes, and Charlton looking for their third manager of the season. Apart from, apart from that, how are you? I'm
1: good. Uh, yeah, I mean, we we could literally do this pod for about four or five hours if we wanted to, <laughs> uh, but. Um, it might be a bit of a longer one this week. The reason I'm saying that is Curtis Fleming did pre-match. Um, uh, now the caretaker manager at Charlton, we've had that scenario a few times uh, in recent years, and I thought he was really good value. So I think at, you're going to when we get to the Charlton section, we'll have the full interview because essentially I think well I kind of ended up leading it because there wasn't loads of media on the call. So um, yeah. It's been, a, it's been another week, Ed, where there's just been so much going on, hasn't there, for our clubs. And uh, also in the midst of the transfer window as well. So, uh, uh, dear, uh oh dear. What a patch. Pl- what a, patch. D- what a, patch. It's a patch. It's
0: a good patch, but it's a busy yeah. patch. Never a dull moment south of the river. Um, it's a bit
1: like, I'll tell you what it's a bit like. You're in a car and one of your kids, you've got more than one kid and one of them's misbehaving. And then one of them eventually decides to behave, and then the next one starts chipping off, and then you have to deal with them. And then the third one you've got, then kicks in after that, and then they all go together. That's what it's right. like.
0: I'll I'll bear that in mind for future reference. Uh, fortunately, no, no kids at the moment. I don't think that is the important bit to add. I don't you think. think. You think?
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Brilliant. Love that. Uh... There's only one place to start this week, and that is at the Valley. And Michael Appleton dismissed uh, within around half an hour or so, I'd say, after the final whistle, after Tuesday night's 3-2 defeat at home to Northampton. You were there, Rich. Just how toxic was it?
1: Oh, it wasn't good. Um, I think it was a similar sort of feeling as the, the, the Nigel Adkins sort of, sort of ending when, when, when he left. Uh, less fans there, I think. I, I don't know exactly what the attendance was when the last game that Nigel Atkins did, but, I mean, it was definitely quiet. I came out of the press room. I tend to go up quite late, and I, I left that. And when you go, up, you go up the stairs to go up, you basically come into the stadium and up the stairs. And uh, I come up about half seven, and it was quiet outside. Wasn't a lot of people milling about. But the ones that were there, I mean, it was nowhere near a 10,000-plus gate like they announced. Um the ones that were there were were ready for Michael Appleton. You know, he got booze as he came out, despite the fact that the music was playing pretty loud. Uh, Concede early on, as soon as that happens, you start getting chants about that you you need to sack him, otherwise we're going down. And yeah, you, you knew it was coming. I think people that had done a bit of background on it or knew a bit about it, you know, he was in a bad, bad place after the Burton game. I think there was a feeling probably then that they had to make a change. Um, and it was really a question of how long he could maybe sort of last in the position. Uh, we've talked about it before. He, 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 hasn't, he didn't connect with the fan base, really, uh, or, or he didn't. Uh, they didn't like the fact he didn't show passion. He said in his pre-match to one of my questions the other day that head coaches who show passion, it's an act. Uh, I don't, you know. I think when you look at what supporters can do when they bring passion and energy from the stands and they can help lift players, I don't see any reason why your, your head coach or manager can't do the same. And certainly with some encouragement and other bits and pieces. And I mean, I was watching Michael Appleton on um, on on Tuesday, and he was stock still in his technical area by and large. Uh, there was one light-hearted moment where the fans asked him for a wave and then when he when he gave him a wave they started singing we've seen your hands, we've seen your hands because obviously at Burton they were saying about they were chanting for him to get his hands out of his pockets uh, but I think even on Saturday it was bad at Burton the sort of reaction in the second half so it was going to happen uh, I think it was probably close to happening after Burton and then obviously we, yeah didn't even do the press conference after the game which I think was the right call I mm-hmm. mean what what is he going to say? Uh, very, very difficult for him to really uh, come in there when you know that you're going. And I think he said it wasn't his first rodeo uh, in terms of being under pressure. And uh, I, I, he knew the writing was on the wall. It was a question of when he got when he got the got the sack.
0: Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm going to throw in a comment from Steve Wisdom on, on Twitter who said Appleton had to go. He lost the fans weeks ago, so the writing was on the wall from that point. Whoever comes in now has the longest pre-season ever to start getting us into shape for next season. Four months to figure out who he wants and who he doesn't want and mould the squad. Is that the sort of viewpoint that, that Charlton might be looking at for their next manager? I mean, I think there are only four points, aren't there, above the drop zone. So there's probably more pressing matters initially at hand before before the pre-season for next year starts.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I don't know whether people would... I don't think you can really look at it now and say, uh, yeah, we're planning for next season. I mean... The results in midweek uh, with with Reading winning weren't good. Uh, the fixtures that Charlton have got in February are frankly horrific. If you if you work on the basis that the form guy counts for much. they've got Derby twice that month. They've got Portsmouth. They've got Bolton. Uh, uh, you know Blackpool this weekend who have been going well. Then they've got mostly teams in the top ten and a lot that are in the top six, um, and they've struggled against teams much lower down in the table than that. Um, so, uh, I don't think you could be looking that far ahead. I think there's a few different elements to what they do. I think that there won't be a managerial appointment before the weekend. Curtis Fleming will take the team with Jason Pierce assisting him. And I think if they can get a good result uh, in the next couple of games and how it goes, I think it gives the ownership group um, a decision to make. And I want to say ownership group because... I think there's been a bit of a sort of nod to the fact that this was an Andy Scott appointment, Michael Appleton, and he's the guy that picks and chooses. Andy Scott's got an integral role at the club as technical director. But I think if you work on the notion that nobody above that in the senior management team and the board of, and, and the owners, if you think they don't have direct influence, and, and can it could be big influence on what the club do in terms of strategising which manager or head coach is next, I think you are living in a dream world. So that was a point I just wanted to make because I think it's easy to say, oh, one one person does this and one person does that." Uh, when it doesn't work out, of course, it's fairly easy to then say, "Oh, let's 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 let this person be the full guy." So I think that's worth I think that's worth saying. But I think if, if going back to what I was going to make the point of, if the caretaker team do well, it doesn't make it so urgent to bring the new manager in. If they don't get results, and bearing in mind what I've said about February. I think then they would have to then think about how quickly they change it up. And I think they are looking at a few different options. They are looking at the, the, the short-term option, a short-term fix to the summer and then a reset. And you've got the long-term option. So someone that you're bringing in on a permanent basis. The one thing I'd say on that is how attractive for Charlton at the moment for a manager that has got a little bit of pizzazz, a little bit of wow factor, maybe a bit of excitement. They are in trouble and you haven't got a window to help and have an input in really by the time you come in. So that's that's just something I flag up.
0: Yeah, we'll get on to the sort of early runners and riders in a minute. But can you pinpoint a moment where it sort of started to, to fall away a little bit for Appleton? Because obviously, when looking at it from, the, from the, the way we do, I'm obviously on a little bit more of an outside from it than, than you do. We still speak about the club every day. started off okay under him, didn't it? It looked like maybe the right decision to to get rid of Dean Holden after four games into the league one season and then bring Appleton in. But just in recent weeks, um, I think some of the decisions, I think especially with like Louis Watson dropping out, I don't think the fans have agreed with from from what I've seen. Playing Alfie May out wide as well, I don't think the fans were too happy with, even though it looked like it was quite a productive spell for him. So is, is there a point where you can sort of pinpoint it and think this is where Michael Appleton sort of lost the Charlton fans a little bit?
1: Well, I think if you look at it, obviously the Gillingham Cup game uh, was, was a really bad performance and there was some criticism of that. And from there, things began to slide. Now, I'm not saying the FA Cup was a priority for Charlton. You, we, I mean, I'm happy to say it. You were asking me back in November, uh, we were talking about it and I was saying that I thought Charlton would be in the playoff picture. And I did yeah. because at that stage, Michael Appleton's, the points per game under Michael Appleton indicated that they would be around it. And you looked at that and you thought, they'll carry that on. They'll add to the squad in January and they'll be ready to hit attack the second half of the season. But that hasn't happened. They've had the injuries to people like Lieburn, and eke Miles Lieburn and other injuries as well. And off the back of that, they've badly, badly struggled to cope. Uh, defensively, they've not been good enough this season. Uh, you know, I don't know. I think the stat was, I think it's 16 games without a clean sheet. I mean, wow, that, that that's not good. Uh, there's so many late stoppage time goals. Again, what is that down to? Are the squad not fit enough? But they've equally had some bad luck. You look at little turning points. I mean, like every manager can say this, but he has had misfortune. I mean, the Cambridge United game, uh, they get uh, the 2-2 draw scoring two late goals. One of those, uh, the, the penalty, the tackle's outside the box. So there are little things here and there that you could pick apart that you say, If he just falls the other side of it, he maybe gets some results that leave him in a better position. So I think there's been varying factors that have been a problem. I mean, I think maybe the wing back situation, it'd be interesting to see if they carry on playing that way. I mean, obviously they brought in McCauley Gillespie uh, and, and, you know, they've made signings in the defensive area as if they're going to play a three at the back. One of the things I thought with Michael Appleton is maybe towards the edge, you're almost trying anything to try and arrest the slide. So, uh, But they just look so fragile. I mean, in the Northampton game, Northampton came there looking really confident first half and you would do, wouldn't you? Because you know that the manager's right under the, right under the hammer. I mean, You know if you start well, the fans are going to turn against you. So I think there's a few factors. I mean, certainly at the start of the window, as I said in one of the previous pods, the intent was there to... To back him in the window, bring in players, and they felt that once he had a decent amount of depth and you know another striker up top, uh, to, to support Alfie May, there was a feeling the results would turn back again. The problem was the bad result, you know, it's 10 without a win in the league, 12 in all competitions. And the issue is even if there's an intent for even if there was an intent now, which I don't think there was at the end, to keep him. Eventually, you cannot do it when you are losing that many matches. And the problem is, Michael Appleton wasn't a fit for Charlton, and that okay. I'm not saying that's right or wrong. It's just a fact. Uh, you know, I, I put a tweet out after the game that uh, the managers that have connected with the fan base, and I've seen so many come and go. Generally, have been ones that have had Palace connection. Uh, so, Palace connections. Quite that would that would be wrong. Charlton connections. So. You know, Johnny Jackson, Chris Powell, Lee Bowyer. Uh, I still remember being at Bo's first game. I think Lewis Pace scored a, scored, a, scored a stonker of a goal. And instantly, the atmosphere in the Valley was different. Uh, it was transformed without without Lee Bowyer having done anything. But, I mean, Bo's happy at uh, managing Montserrat. I'm not saying that the club would have looked at bringing him back, but Chris Powell's happy at Sheffield Wednesday. That's not going to happen. Uh, you know, so I think it's an interesting one where they go where they go next.
0: Yeah. I'm going to throw in a comment from Chris, C-A-F-C, who says he'd be happy with either Michael Duff or Mark Bodder as the next manager. He obviously mentions Chris Powell as well, but as you've just said, he's he's pretty happy at where he is at Sheffield Wednesday. So uh, you obviously put out a few stories as well, a few tweets, Neil Warnock, Jason Yule, who are the who are the sort of ones who would be keen on uh, uh, a managerial stint at the Valley this time around? Well, I put
1: Neil out, I put Neil Warnock out there and... Uh... The reaction, looking on social media, looked really, really positive towards that. Uh, I mean, I've I've covered Neil's team, particularly well both times he was at Crystal Palace. I think he's a tremendous, tremendous man manager. I think he he sorts out dressing rooms. I think he's a I think he's a natural character. It's not a, it's not an act. And I actually think that he would, if you're looking at a short term manager for this season, I think he would be a really, really good fit. For, for Charlton. Uh, and I think he would be interested in it, but I do think as well that he perhaps wouldn't uh, be, uh, a, a, like, he's not going to, I'm not saying they're going to go down a cheap option, but I think he would, you know, he knows his own worth, put it that way. So I think he'd be an interesting one. Mark Bonner's not one that I'd heard until you mentioned that. Uh, the three that were mentioned sort of immediately afterwards is Nathan Jones, uh, uh, John Eustace, and uh, Michael Duff. Uh, m- my understanding is that there has been contact with Nathan Jones. Uh, he was formerly under twenty-one development coach at Charlton when he before he left to get a, a promotion at Brighton. Uh, so he's got an affiliation with the club. It's whether, having come out of Southampton, he's probably on a fairly good severance package, which sometimes means that managers get paid all the time they're out of work, almost effectively getting their salary. The question is whether you would stop that or walk away from that to come back to a team that's struggling in League One? So that's a question that I don't know the answer to, but there has been contact I believe. Uh, John Eustace was someone that Millwall really wanted to speak to and uh, the indications I think of the time is that he was in the Midlands and wasn't, wasn't I don't think it went further than an initial contact you've got to ask the question, would John Eustace then drop to League One to come to a club in, in London it seems unlikely. Mm-hmm. And Michael Duff, again, you've maybe got that he's on a severance package after after leaving Swansea. But again, very, very good record. I mean, I think he would be a good pick. Uh, I liked his Cheltenham team when I saw it. Obviously, he won League Two. They finished 15th, I think, the following season, the highest the, the club had ever finished in their history in, in the football pyramid. And obviously, he took Barnsley uh, to... The league one playoff final where they lost to sheffield wednesday so i think he makes sense whether there's been contact on michael duff i don't know i would say it's a fairly safe bet that he would be one that they would they would speak to as well
0: yeah in terms of what you said about neil warner and being the sort of man motivator that he is um john hickey is that's what he'd like from the new manager he said the next manager needs to be a player motivator has the know-how to get promoted and has a good relationship with the fans. Someone who cares and wants to achieve success for the club and fans. They want passion. Um, really, they just they want a manager who who's going to connect with the fan base. That's what they're they're after, really. By the sounds of it, I know Dean Holden did that on a sort of playing to the crowd sort of level. But after Michael Appleton, they sort of want to revert back to that that type of manager. Yeah, I
1: mean, and also results are king, aren't they? I mean, yeah. uh, you know. You can have someone that's passionate, but if the team are playing crap or they're not getting results, they aren't going to last that long. Uh, But I think the thing that helps is if there is a connection, you get more time. It becomes a more positive environment and that sort of helps you as a team get results. And the problem was that under Michael Appleton, it it was sort of getting to the stage where it was toxic and I put it in my match sort of my sort of take on it. It was getting corrosive. It was beginning to arrive. It's it's getting quite destructive at that point. And I think that's why you've got to act. And that's why they had to make the move that they did. So I totally think you want someone that will get people on side uh, and be a popular appointment as well, because uh, but the problem they've had recent, recent years, Charlton is they've not had managers that have brought enough success to the football club. So, that's been a big problem for them. And, you know, it'd be interesting to see where it goes next. I mean, they're still trying to work on transfer deals in. Uh, I don't necessarily think it, I think having a manager helps, but it's not going to stop them from being able to do other deals. Uh, you know, uh, someone had asked about Scott Fraser. Um, yes. Uh, uh, but the indications I've had at this is that the, the terms of the loan to hearts. I think Scott Fraser's family are back up in Scotland, maybe. And I think it would suit him to be back up there, Uh, which I I think Charlton are probably sort of understanding of. But my knowledge of it is that hearts haven't offered a, financially it's not a brilliant offer. Uh, So it's not like Charlton have to do it right now. And with a change of manager as well, it might be that another person comes in and thinks I could use him here and play him slightly differently, or they might like him. So obviously the club has to come first. He's contracted to Charlton. So that's the reason as it stands, it's not happening. Of course, with all this stuff, it just needs maybe something to happen in terms of uh, the the salary or whatever it might be, percentage they're going to pay. And all of a sudden it perhaps then begins to start rolling forward. So it's always that sort of situation where you can't say never, say never. But certainly earlier this week, it was off. As we talk now on Thursday afternoon, still don't believe it's something that's set to happen. He's not set to be in the squad. Uh, Curtis Fleming talks about it. I asked him about it when we played the audio, but yeah, he's not. I don't think he's going to be part of the squad at the weekend.
0: Yeah. Uh, We've had a few people asking for updates on George Dobson as well. I know you you put out a story earlier in the week with, with his situation. Is there anything you can add on that right now? Not
1: really. I've seen that uh, a few people are saying that he's agreed a three-year deal with uh, with the club out in, in Hungary. I won't try and pronounce their name. Ed, can you pronounce it?
0: Forhar, no, for something along those lines. I know oh, about that. For uh, very yeah. good,
1: very good. Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> but uh, I mean, the situation is as it stands. I I think Ch- Charlton have made contract offers, but as yet yeah, again, as we stand right now, they've they've they've, they've not as we talk right now, they've, they've not actually. Come up with a deal that's agreeable to George Dobson. I mean, uh, I think whether he'll move before the end of the window, probably not. I've not heard that he's signed a pre-contract, but I had heard that the terms were, you know, I think when we first talked about it, I said to you that they they'd said it was a really good offer that they, that he had. So no surprise really if he has if he has agreed that uh or, or that the terms are agreeable. But nothing, there's no update as such. And I don't think there's nothing sort of as far as I'm aware that's been agreed with Charlton. I mean obviously if he's if he does, if he did sign a pre-contract, it's a bit like the Corey Blackett Taylor situation that you're then sort of thinking, okay, if he if he's got something lined up, will he give us everything? I'm not saying George Dobson right because I think he's been totally committed the whole time he's been at the football club, but uh, I know a lot of fans would like him to sign, but at the moment, there's no indications anything is close. That's for sure.
0: Yeah, uh, you've been on Curtis Fleming's pre-match presser today. He's obviously taken interim charge with Jason Pearce. Who was interim, in interim charge last time around when Dean Holden left? Um, we're going to hear from him in a minute. But what were the sort of key key lines from his press conference this afternoon? There was loads. I mean, he was he was very engaged. It's the first time I've spoken to Curtis
1: Fleming, uh, and I thought he spoke really, really well. Um, seems a very personable guy, uh, and I think that probably is good for the dressing room. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that Michael Apperton had a bad relationship with players or anything like that. But the interesting thing is Curtis Fleming was an appointment that i don't believe was club that uh, was was not michael appleton led i think there was potentially somebody else that michael appleton would have liked to have added to his coaching team i think that there was a feeling that they needed a bit of seniority someone with real experience to come on the board and i think they wanted someone that would challenge michael appleton Uh so uh, i'm not massively surprised that he stayed on Uh he's saying that he won't be wearing He's not going to be one of these guys who's going to get the Amani out and be wearing that or a suit after a game. Uh, And it's I guess for a caretaker, like, you know, Charlton won't be fancy for a lot of these early games coming up. So the the pressure's kind of not off, but, you know, it it gives him that they're not expected to go to Blackpool and probably get anything. And, you know, they're not expected at home to Derby the following week to get anything. And you can sort of run through those February fixtures, which... Also, is a bit of a sad indictment of where Charlton are at the moment uh, that, that, you know, they should be one of the biggest clubs at this level. And right now they're not. They're seen as they have been seen in recent weeks as sort of a team you probably pick to play against. But yeah, Yeah. anyway, as you say, we'll we'll be hearing from him. And uh, yeah, I certainly thought there was some interesting stuff in there talking about former managers as well that he worked under that kind of inspired him or gave him good, you know, gave him inspiration basically as a coach.
0: Yeah. We're going to hear from from Curtis Fleming now. When we come back, we're going to jump into Crystal Palace. Uh,
1: sometimes this is a bit of a normality at Charlton that we have a managerial change. But but what about what about for you in terms of what's the kind of emotions at the moment for you?
2: Any emotions? Are, uh, it's football, isn't it? It's, as you said, it's it's a crazy game. You come. And um, we are one remit, and then something happens, and then you've just got to uh, you have to adapt. In the game these days, you've got to be adaptable, and um, you've got to be ready. So I've I've you know ex- experienced you know managers. I worked with Nigel Pearson for for nearly three years. Then at Bristol, he was Ill for, for a few big parts of that, where I had to take over the running of the place. So, um, it doesn't you know it doesn't scare me. It's just one of those things. It's probably the only thing is I've only been in a couple of weeks. And it's getting to the gist of everything that's going on at the club. But then, um, you know, it, it, it
1: happens in the end. The emotions about everything, no one's happy when anyone loses the job on football. Do you. And uh, I think it's. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to ask um, when you actually were asked, when did you find out the news about Michael? I'm assuming you were still at the Valley because obviously it came instantly, pretty much, well, half an hour, maybe 40 minutes at best after the game.
2: Yes, yeah, we all, we all probably found out at the same time, I think. Um, and then it's quite emotional after games, anyway. Yeah, you know, you feel you've been in a washing machine for, for an hour and a half, and then, you, then after that, that hit, and it was disappointing. And you do, you, you think about everything, don't you? You think about the game, you think about how, how it goes, what's happened, how that's happened, and stuff. But then you just got to dust yourself down. It's never nice, and it's not a nice feeling, and it wasn't a great right feeling. Um, But we're, we're football people at heart, and we know that things like that happen.
1: When you came in, Michael was under pressure probably even at that point. Had you had any kind of assurances about your longer-term future if there was a change? Because surely you must have looked at it from the outside and realised that there was a pressure element there with the run that the team was on. Yeah,
2: well, I didn't think it was that much pressure, if I'm honest. I didn't think it was an unbelievable pressure. I came down to as, as the assistant to, to the head coach. Which I've done quite well and they said they needed somebody in, we just needed to get a couple of results, settle things down, and then we would push on. I wasn't sure or knew that I was gonna come. Um like that, but again it, it's the game and it's it's a it's a strange thing if you if you said to all the players who have just signed that they you know what I mean, that they think that a coach was signed and had a chance to go on with the assigned, you know what I mean? So I think that it's it's one of those things, if you came uh, you know, I wouldn't say so you, when you're in the building, it's probably, it doesn't shock you as much. But I think a lot of people were surprised to just come in.
1: Do you, how quickly did the conversation turn? Because obviously once the manager goes, people say, right, what's going to happen in the short term? So when were you kind of first spoken to about sort of taking it on in this caretaker capacity?
2: Yeah, yesterday. Yesterday was a lot after the game. it was mentioned and stuff. You kind of half um, know what, what your role is going to be or what has to happen, um. You can't go away from the fact that a football team preparing for games and you've got a lot of lads. And at the end of the day, for me, club is bigger than anything. Um, Wherever club I'm at, that's, that's what it is. So I think you, you get your head on and you say, OK, there's emotions running with everybody members of staff, players, players with contracts, are up. players have just signed. the so much going on. So to win games, you need to have that stability as quickly as possible. There will be people thinking about it. There's no doubt about it. They're going home to speak to their wives and saying what's going on and what's happening. Where are we going to go? The staff members thinking if somebody new comes in, what's going to happen? So you've got to be quite open to all of that, get it settled down as quickly as possible, be as transparent as you can be. As you can be, that's all. You know what I mean? You don't know everything, but you have to be transparent. And then you you, you work from there.
1: Have you spoken to Michael too much post-Tuesday night? Have you had any kind of conversation with him since?
2: No, no, we've been... We've had a couple of messages and, um, again, sometimes I think yeah, you're better off left alone. I think uh, sometimes when things happen, um, you, you want to get your head right and stuff. And There's no doubt I'll be back on to him and to see how he's doing and stuff. But we've had a, a little bit of contact, just really just, you know, you know, hoping everything's okay. Uh, with him again behind all the football management, the footballers always a person. So I think it's important that you get to the bottom of that and then um, if you stick to that, I think you'll
1: do okay in the game. The results in midweek, well, I mean, it was already an unhappy night and then the results don't really go your way with Reading winning and and other results. The gap to the bottom four is is closing. Are Charlton in a relegation fight as it stands, do you think, Curtis?
2: No, for me, I don't think so. I think that we look at, you look at form, but we have to change that. That's, I think you're in a relegation but when you're in a relegation spot. I'd rather be four points ahead of it than, than the unit. And There's no doubt the results have to pick up. There's no doubt, you know, It's when you can see things out there, I love it, you know, that people try to put this spin, but we can see that I think we haven't kept the clean sheet. Is it 15 games or 16 games? So we need to keep a clean sheet. It's not like, do you know what I mean? We have to work at that and, and we have to do it. We can't shove them under the table and say, do you know what I mean? So every game you go out, you say, I tell you what, we, we have to win by three or we have to win by two. We've got to work on keeping a clean sheet. It's not just the defenders, it's the team, and it's the substitutes that come on. So we're in a battle, there's no doubt about it. We're in a battle every day because we have to be in a better position than we are. We think we should be, we think we have the squad to be, and, we, and we're not. So I think the battle is for us to get better. Though I I'd rather be looking up than looking down. I think we've got to really just, you know, stand up and say, come on, what's happening? what we do and we spoke to the lads about it again like you know it's probably being said and words again are great i think words are lovely um, and words mean nothing without action so we can say you're going to do this you're going to do that the hot air if there's no action so we need to keep clean sheets and we're going away to a very good team on saturday and we need to be on it
1: when you say you're going away to a good team on saturday and one of the problems is you've got a lot of good teams coming up haven't you in february home to Derby, home to Lincoln, Reading in there as well. But you've got Bolton away, Portsmouth at home and Derby away. So you played Derby twice in that month. You in a bad one of form and you've got you've got sides at the top of the table you're facing.
2: Yeah, but that, should that be a challenge sometimes? As sometimes those games, how do you do well in, in FA Cups? Why do teams beat teams that are in the Premier League? Because everyone saying you've got no chance. So you go there as an underdog and it, it builds you up sometimes. It gives, you that, it gives you that kind of determination as a group to to, to, to to book the trend. We can't get away from those games. Those games are games that are coming anyway. What we want to do flip them around and get six teams that we want. And then after those six games, you've got to play another top six teams. So I think for us, we should be looking at it as a challenge. Um, and as the players, I think we've got good players here. And I think those players... Think the good players that should be flying in League One. You should be relishing these 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 opportunities, and I think that's something that we've got to do. you can't get away from it's football, so we've got to turn up at three o'clock every Saturday, whoever we play, and, um, and and give our
1: best. These players seem low on confidence to me. I thought you could see it on Tuesday, as you say. They've been players that have been signed that have been you know performed at other clubs and performed at Charlton as well, but. Um, there, there feels like it's been a difficult environment for them and obviously you've got to kind of change the change the mood, haven't you? And sometimes a change can do that.
2: Yes, yeah, sometimes a change can do that. There's no doubt about it. Sometimes it's, they play some more games. Some of the guys that come in haven't played a lot of games. It's three-game week. There is that tension. I think you could probably tell during the game there was a lot of opportunities where we got in and maybe forced a pass. Or you know when you're flying, there are passes you don't even think about. There are passes you do when you're just free and you just play and you can see them over concentrating on those passes. So I think that for, for guys it's good to get more minutes in. I think it'll be a hard job because you've got three games in a week. But again, as I said to the boy, three games in a week is your job. There's a lot going to dig a hole every day for twelve hours. <laughs> do you know what I mean? So we've got we've got to go and we've got to do the three games. So I think it's um, you know, if there is an integration period. There is, you know, the manager was, was under pressure. You know, it's, it's a bit of stress on them to perform for him. You know, there's stress around the place. But the only way we can get out of it is by getting results. I was all sticking together. I spoke today to the lads, I've got a lot of staff in, and just said, that's what we're working for. <laughs> that's what it is. Yeah. No one's bigger. No one's bigger. So that's what we have to do. You've got to work hard. You've got to give our best for that. And if it's not good enough, then you'll move on. But that never changed, that's still there. So I said that we just need that kind of the, the mentality. But I'm, these are all words again. So that's why I said that first These are all words. You don't see anything contrary trade talk on Saturday when there's eight or 10,000. But I just think it's something that we have to, we have to really cherish the next few games. Football's a short career. Let's go on and, and work as hard as you can.
1: I'm curious to ask you who were the biggest influences when you've, well, I could ask you two ways because you obviously had a very good, uh, excellent football career as a player. You've obviously had an extensive career in the managerial and coaching side. Who have been the biggest, who have been the best managers or the biggest influences, would you say, on your, your coaching journey?
2: I think yeah, I think a lot of stuff is when I when I coach I do for, I work a lot from my playing days. Not because I've like played at a level or anything like that. I always I got played with some really good players which is which is which is lovely, but I wasn't a great player. Do you know what I mean? I always say we were both painters. I say one was Van Gogh when I was a painter and decorator. But I was lucky enough to work with those. Do you know I even mean? a quality players so you learn things like that? And then I worked with I had Brian Robson as a manager for seven years. And I'm not name dropping that because he's a bit of a legend. He wasn't a brilliant coach, but what a man. What a man. You go to war from now. I kind of get a little bit like that now when I speak to him because he's a good man. And I think that's half the battle. When you play, there's so much going on. It's great to have people that you can trust and that do the right things for you. And they might make mistakes. He used to drop us and we were tanking him. <laughs> Do you know what I mean, <laughs> because he was like, you're not, you're not playing this way, but, you know, he'd be in the next week, he oh, thanks Gaffer, thanks for that, where we fight by to strangle other coaches. And then, um, it's lucky enough, and Terry Venables came in for a short time, and I loved his simplicity. If he was any train, any coaches I, I would with he was probably the best. And then, all the guys I work with, Tommy Pulis, gives different messages, different things, We always learn. Uh, Nigel Pearson, who I've worked with over the last three years has got teams up to the Premier League he's built clubs up he's cut the wage bill at, Bristol got them a team that are competitive so you learn all the time so I think everybody, if I'm honest and I don't mean, I've mentioned a few names there but, but good people you learn good bits, there's bits that you say I wouldn't do and, and when you get to my age you've been around a bit you, you're going to know what you are and, and know what you have to be to, to be you so um, you won't see me in a three-piece suit on a Saturday because I'm doing one game, or I've got a black
1: polo neck and you know what I mean? I'm in Armani gear on. So I just that's that's just
2: me. So a track seat manager, yeah. Yeah, until we win a few games, i will get the Armani.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, the natural question that caretakers always get asked, and you know, it seems to go with the thing, is that you're smiling. Um, do you, you know, would you would you fancy the job yourself in the longer term?
2: Well, what's the answer?
1: I don't know. You what tell you me.
2: But <laughs> do you normally hear? I'm concentrating on Saturday. Yeah. That... I'm concentrating on Saturday, and I just and that's and that's honest. As I said to you, it's been something that I wasn't expecting over the last two weeks. I want to get the, the job done. I want to get us to get results. Um, I want the you know the, the kind of fans players. Connection pulling together everybody, you know, it's just it's just one of those that anyone would think, and we'll see what happens. We got the games. I enjoyed being out the lads today. Get the game out of the way. I came as an assistant head coach, and that's what I am. So I'm happy with that. That's been named badge.
1: In terms of injury news, team news, getting onto that that sort of side of things, what where are you kind of at with players being available or not available?
2: We're okay to be fair. We're we're quite good. Um, you know, it, it, little bangs always feel a bit worse when you've lost a lot of games, don't they? When you've won nine games, you don't feel anything, then you? you're desperate for the next one. So we've had a couple of little bangs and knocks and stuff, but everybody looks like they're coming on OK. Um, got a couple of lads coming back from injury, that again, we don't want to be pushing them and that, to, you know, think you have to, get result, have to get a result started. There's a lot of games left that they'll be needed in, so a couple of them maybe need a couple of, and uh, maybe another game and another... I'm talking about Terry and Conrad and, Randall you know, just saying they played you know, 45 and 60 respectively to the day. They might need another
1: another little bit. I was going to ask as well about Teo because obviously he's now suspended. I'm guessing when you watch that video back, you're fairly stunned that he does actually get a red card, uh, the second yellow for that, that offence, and you can't appeal it because it's not straight red.
2: Yeah, and, and that's I think that's a bugbear on us all, isn't it? you know the forward official is standing beside me when the tackle so we're literally 15 feet away from him 20 feet away from him we know he's won the ball Um it, it, it you know it affects the game we have a lot of joy down the left hand so you know we're about to bring a striker on you know and we're going to push him on a little bit and then they make a decision it's a bad decision and there's no doubt we'll probably get a letter saying you know sorry about that no no the ref doesn't go to make a mistake but you know it's it's for me, it looked quite simple. I think when you look back now, you're thinking maybe Hoskins might have cut the red. You know yeah. what I mean? Which yeah. is amazing. But I just I just thought, I just like, he's won the ball ref. He said it was high, it wasn't high. He could be high when his foot was on the ground sliding into the ball. So yeah, I, I thought it was very harsh on the lad. and He was good. And now he misses a game that we could have done with him. Yeah. And the, the weirdest thing is you can't appeal the yellow. You know, if you appeal the yellow, and you say, all right, I made a mistake, he's available, but his four yellow's not quashed. So it goes to the list, and his five yellows, and you miss the game, so he just has another yellow. How I just, I don't know. I'm not the brightest one in the world, but I think it could be done
1: a little bit better, you know? Yeah. Oh, different managers, even caretaker or permanent, or head coaches, whatever you want the term to be, it could bring people back into the equation that weren't in it. I wanted to ask about Scott Fraser. Is he a player that you could select at the weekend? Uh, obviously, there's been the interest from Hearts. Is is he someone that's available to you at the weekend?
2: No, I think there's a lot of talking going on, and uh, again about my pay grade. I was just we, we worked on what we had out there today and what we have, and looking at no one else joining it or, or coming out to, till Saturday. And if that changes, we'll let you know. You know, very, very quickly. But at the moment. It's, it's
1: what we have at the moment. And just finally, a word on Blackpool. What's your assessment of them? They're, obviously, as we said, they're a team that, are, that, that have been going relatively well of late, aren't they?
2: Yes, yeah. They're, 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 they're a good good footballing team. Um, they played against the, you know, the, the coaches' teams before. Um, they're a goal threat. There's no doubt about it. to play some good stuff. Play a shape, not too to, to dissimilar to us. So I think it'd be a really good game. Um, I'll have to... I think we have to not go away from that we're a decent team as well and we play some good stuff um but we haven't been as effective as we should be in both you know attacking third and defensive third i think the middle third has been grand you know we've been able to play and we've been able to keep the ball it's more possession again the other night with 60 70 possession against burton but weren't effective enough in the two boxes so that's something that we have to work on it be a good game i i, I think they'll you know, everyone's team talk is done, isn't it? Trying to stroll and get in the belt and, you know, you know, just get in the belt and put them under pressure. They will crack. They'll do this and all that. That's fine. We just need to turn and say, well, you know, we're refusing today. We're refusing. We're going to have a goal. But we have enough in the team. We have enough in the team to win. And, uh, and that's what I'll be hammering home.
1: Final question. How, this might be pre it slightly, but how do you normally celebrate a win? How, how does a caretaker manager celebrate a win afterwards?
2: No, no, no. I'll punch the air and then get ready for next week. <laughs> That's just good. Honestly, it's like, yes, you beauty, get in there and all right, then you'll we'll be playing. Hobbies all right and, and, and stuff like that. So, you know, there might be a beer after somewhere if I get home and see my family, but um, we'll, we'll see. I, I think it could be a major sigh, couldn't it? clean the sheet and I went away and got me big just relief once you so relief and
1: then say I don't know where I'm going to be here next week Welcome back to part two of the South London Press Football Pod and we're on to uh, Crystal Palace uh, First of all let's start Ed, with a a story that that, that you broke on our, our website on sort of Thursday morning that uh, Palace are close to maybe their first signing of a transfer window, Daniel Munoz from a uh, Belgium side Genk. Uh, I just wanted to ask a bit more about this. So what, what what do you know so
0: far? Well, as far as we understand, Palace are edging closer to to agreeing a fee with the Belgian Pro League side for the attacking right back. And it's a position that Palace have probably needed for a while. Nathaniel Klein and, and Joel Ward are both in there sort of mid thirties of Joel Ward 34, Nathaniel Klein 32. Um, both out of contract in the summer. It's a position that Palace have sort of been needing to strengthen for a while. Uh, and they obviously sold Aaron Wan bissaka to to Manchester United in, in 2019 and haven't really replaced him since. They obviously signed Nathan Ferguson who was who was tipped for great things, but he's had a horrendous run of of injuries at the football club, a really unlucky sort of spell. Um, signed that new contract in the summer and, and looked, by all accounts looked pretty good in sort of in and around training before he suffered an injury again for the under-21 side and, and was forced to have surgery. So um, Palace has been forced to dip into the right-back market. I, I've looked at clips of Munoz but, and by all accounts, he's an incredibly attacking right-back. So that immediately switches up Crystal Palace's style of play because although Nathaniel Klein has the athleticism to get up and down, um doesn't naturally boast the sort of attacking prowess to cross and, and take shots from distance. So, yeah, this is this is this would be a great move for Crystal Palace if they could could get it sealed. By all accounts, Munoz has gone on strike and wants to join Crystal Palace. hasn't turned up for training with Genk for the past two days. So, uh, usually when that happens, the the writing is on the wall and uh, could be one that, that Crystal Palace made their first signing of uh, of the winter window.
1: Yeah, I mean the indications I think that we'd we'd had on Thursday morning was that it was sort of ninety five percent done when we were sort of yeah, checking yeah. it out. So it sounds it sounds like a, a promising one. And uh, you know, there's been a, a lack of activity at, at Palace, but I mean they're not the only club. Fulham, my club, Fulham have not made any signings this window so far. But you also had the story earlier in the week that a fifteen million pound bid for Blackburn's Adam Wharton had, had been. Uh, have been submitted and it's a he's a player we've, we've spoken about on one of the early windows I think uh, one of the early pods about him being a target uh do you think do you think the sort of activity has been sparked by palaces current malaise or, or do you think it was always the intent to kind of do this kind of activity
0: well I think the banners uh following the fire deal defeat at Arsenal, Sassler, probably helped in terms of pushing the board to to spend some some money this January um it probably hurt the board seeing seeing things about weak decisions and and asking for for them to be removed from their current positions. Um, it's going to hurt any any football chair. But if you even in our industry, if people are telling us that we're terrible at our jobs and we need to get out, it's it's gonna it's gonna affect us one way or another. I haven't had that yet, but there's still plenty of time left in this January window. So, um, but Adam Watson's one they've tracked for ages. Um, seen lots of clips of him. Looks like a really incisive passer very highly rated, made his debut at 17, has over 50 senior appearances to his name. Palace's bid was actually rejected and, and Blackburn boss John Dal Thomason has confirmed that it's been rejected. Um, Says that he's got Champions League qualities when he's on the ball, but off the ball has has a little bit of work to do. I, I think I'd probably agree with that. On the ball, he looks like a... Pff, the way he passes through the sort of defence would be a real sort of key asset to Crystal Palace. I wouldn't say he's a... Natural, check the Coré replacement. That's obviously the position that Palace are looking for because he suffered the Achilles tendon injury at least, and that's going to rule him out for the whole of the campaign, pretty much. But um, on the ball, Adam Morton looks like a, a real player and a real asset. Um, the question is now whether Crystal Palace are weighing up a, a move to go back in and to try and get him or whether they move on to other targets. They've made a right back and an essential midfielder their priority this, this winter. I'd suggest that maybe a left winger should have been the priority, but these are the two positions they they want to go after. And I think what it what it adds to the team in no uncertain terms is goals. Munoz has forty goal contributions in one hundred and forty eight games for for Gank. Um, Adam Water knows how to thread a pass through, and if you are looking, that he's got Everett Chaze in front of him, and if he plays as the six for Palace and Everett Chaze is in front of him. That's not a bad bad player to be feeding footballs to in the Premier League. Eze looked like he was back to his best against Arsenal, although the whole team performance was was pretty shoddy. Eze was the sort of one shining light from it. And when Michael Elise returns, which could potentially be next Tuesday against Sheffield United, some real players on, on Roy Hodgson's hands. Um obviously it, it, it's it's where the Palace are gonna go back in for Wharton now and and uh, and try and make them Sort of Blackburn. I, I think Blackburn have been rumours have some sort of financial issues. I, I know that as well because they, I think they were after uh, one of AFC Wimbledon's players in the not too distant past, and, and I think money was sort of the, the problem in terms of them going for for him then. So um, whether Palace can can capitalise on that and, and get a good good deal for Wharton, who's only 19 and uh, looks incredibly highly rated, that would that would be the, the thing that they're looking at now.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: It's sad. Um... It's going to be
1: very interesting, isn't it, to see. I mean, that Sheffield United game is absolutely huge, isn't it? I mean, what did you make of the banner? I mean, the I was at QPR and I was in the press room watching the end of the game. And uh, the the shot of Roy Hodgson standing, just staring at the banner and it kind of panning round behind him. And there was quite a few screenshots of Steve Parrish in the press box with, with with Mark Bright by his side, as he always is. But I think John Texter was in some of... Keith Gillard who does a terrific job for us with his pictures. There was a picture there of John Texter's also in the shot with Dougie Friedman. I mean.
0: Mm.
1: What, what, what did you make of it, Ed? The, the Arsenal game as a whole and the kind of the, the fact that there was that kind of quite high-profile attempt to show their
0: dissatisfaction. The Arsenal game as a whole, funny one. I actually don't think we were totally out of it. Obviously, the set pieces were pretty poorly marked. Gabriel was all over Chris Richards for both of the two openers and by that point the game's over but I don't actually think Arsenal are that good. They don't look like the force to be reckoned with as as they have been in previous seasons. Obviously, Nauria Hamada coming on a a right wing back with James Tompkins alongside him sort of opens up the space for Martinelli to grab the two goals at the end. Um, But the performance as a whole, Crystal Palace have have one attacking player on on the pitch, Rich. You know, Eberich is, Eze is the only person who can do something with the football and that's that's pretty diabolical after 11 seasons in the Premier League that you have one player who can create and do a bit of moment magic in your, in your team. They failed to replace Wilfred Zaha in the summer. Um, bought in Matthias Franca, very highly rated, but obviously not ready for the Premier League yet when I've seen him play in games, especially against uh, Everton in the FA Cup game. I can see why he's not starting. Um, but there's... I, I can't see... I know that the banners have obviously opened up, sort of the outside football world as to what the problems are at Crystal Palace, but I, I'm I'm sure the board probably aren't surprised that it's been coming to this because there's been a general sort of malaise around the football club for the entire season. The season was thrown away when the when the summer transfer window closed and they failed to get in more attacking players. Injuries have compounded that and and, and made the feeling around the club worse because Roy Hodgson hasn't had his best eleven to pick from for the entire season. In fact, I suggest that the away defeat at Luton, the first 45 minutes, was the only time Roy Hodgson has had his first 11 that he's wanted on a football pitch. Um, the squad's not good enough. The squad's not deep enough. It's not experienced enough in attacking positions as well. So I'm not sure why anyone's surprised that uh, at where Crystal Palace are this season. They have the 16th best squad in the Premier League, I think. Um, the problem is, is that in, in the boardroom, there's... Feels like there's a. I think I mentioned it on the last pod. There's a game of poker. There's like a Mexican standoff about who's going to sort of show their full cards and and really go for sort of either putting an influx of cash in or or trying to make some sort of uh, uh, some sort of attempt to try and take this club to the next level because at the moment it's stagnant. You know, Steve Parish is obviously concerned about the main stand, but costs have, have spiraled in terms of what they thought they'd have to pay for it. Um, Obviously, there was reports this week that they met Rain Group, who sold Chelsea to Todd Bowley, um, about trying to raise extra investment for for the football club, because uh, I think it's gone up by around 45 million pounds for what they need to do with the main stand. So there's there's loads of issues, and and then in the summer you've got the fact that Crystal Palace might have to lose three of their star players to rebuild the squad. So there's lots of issues surrounding it, and I I can see why Steve Parish has made the call to keep Roy Hodgson because. Ultimately, at the end of the day, it's not his fault. It's not his fault. The players are getting injured. The squad is as bad as it is. And and there's other external factors, apart from the playing squad, that are causing Crystal Palace to be held back. So from the outside, it it looks pretty normal. But from the inside, Crystal Palace has been been bubbling along to this melting pot for some time. So it was no surprise to me to see the banners.
1: Just a couple of other smaller bits just to touch on briefly. Obviously, a couple of younger players going out on... Out on loan, uh, Teo Adamomola joining Molenbeek, uh, and also uh, the the other one to mention, obviously, is the sort of striker, isn't it? Uh, Adabola Ola Adabomi, he's gone yeah. to Burton, hasn't he? Is that right?
0: He has, yeah, so that's just been announced now. We revealed in at the start of December that he was going to be allowed to go out on loan, um, he signed a new one year extension and headed out on his first loan spell, obviously been excellent for Darren Powers on the 21 side this, this time around. Shrewsbury, Molenbeek and Crystal Palace's other assistant team, uh, Brevin in Belgium were, were sort of muted as potential destinations for him, but Burton came in at the last minute and, and have managed to secure it. And thinking about it for a 20 year old heading out on his first loan spell to league one, if he can hit the ground running and score five or six goals this, this time around, then it'd be really good for him. Um, and with Teo, we also revealed that Molenbeek was a serious option for him. He then a few days later went over to Belgium after the Arsenal game to, to complete the deal. Um, that Coventry spell was really difficult for him. The wrong move uh, was was recalled after one outing really and I think he had to come back and rebuild his confidence. Um, every time I watched him for the under-21s last season I must say he got better game by game and you could tell there was a player there again. Been in and around the first team for the entire campaign so far under Roy Hodgson. So um he needed to go out and get some football because it felt like his career was being held back. Both of them, I felt like you watch sometimes players in the under twenty ones and you think they've 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 gone past this stage now. They need to go and see whether they can do it. Because if they don't, they'll end up getting bored, they'll end up getting complacent and an under twenty one football will sort of um submerge their career a little bit and and stop them from going on to achieve what they can do so these are two great loans for for two exciting youngsters um and I'm sure we'll we'll keep a track of how they get on I think we'll we'll obviously try and speak to Ola Adebomi at some stage through, throughout his loan spell because he's from a south londoner um, so yeah, it's it's one where the paper wins as well. So it's uh, it's good 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 moves for both of them. I'm Jake Cooper, and you're listening to the South London Press Football Podcast. Welcome back to part three of the South London Press Football Pods. Um, Rich Millwall, one signing this week, Michael Obafemi joined on loan from Burnley. Where do you see him fitting in into Joe Edwards' plans?
1: I see uh, him fitting in as uh, a striker who will give them. Uh, more pace, more power, more explosiveness up front. I think uh, one of the things that was quite interesting was I was at the QPR game on Saturday and uh, I thought Millwall up top looked very, very sparse. Uh, Kevin Nisbet's struggling a bit for form at the moment. I think they missed the energy of Tom Bradshaw to sort of scamper around and, and, and try and unsettle things. And I think when you looked at the strikers on the day, Lyndon Dykes played very well, uh, won the ball as well, dropping deeper, like winning possession, as well as sort of being a decent sort of uh, foil up top for for Sinclair Armstrong, who absolutely hammered a shot into the top tier of the away end. It was a woeful shot in the first half, but I quite like him because I know that maybe some of the QPR fans don't, but I think, you know, there was, one, there was one time when he was running through and it bounced off the back of his heel as he was trying to run onto it. And he can look quite sort of, not, not ungainly, but he looks quite raw. But, but what he has got is he's got pace. He, he's got that physicality. And whenever he was in a footwork, quite often in the first half, it, QPR were playing well. They looked like a team that were nervous and knew the magnitude of the game. What they would do is they would just pump the ball long and Sinclair Armstrong would go into a foot chase with someone like Wes Harding and instantly they looked unsettled at the back wall. and I thought he caused them a lot of problems while he was on the pitch. You couldn't say the same about Millwall and I think with Michael Obafemi, what you're getting is you're getting a player who can make those runs, who can, you know, it doesn't always have to be going your way. You can put the ball over the top and put him into a pace a pace chase basically to see who can get to it so i think that's the reason why i think Millwall have i think i tweeted at the weekend you know Millwall need a striker asap because mm. they haven't got enough striker options and so that's the reason why i think it's a good deal uh you know uh, the only thing with other family a bit like with jacket tang uh, tanganga is he hasn't played a lot of football. I think he's played something like 18 minutes, two late sub appearances in Premier League games this season. But I was talking to Joe Edwards earlier this week and the bottom line is, if you're not a massive player uh, in terms of compared with some of the other clubs that might be out there, Joe was almost saying you haven't got the perfect scenario where you're signing a player that is completely fit, has played loads of minutes, has scored lots of goals. So, what you do in the case of both of the loans that Mill will have done so far, you accept that there is a, an element of risk to it. Uh, and also, but not, maybe not loads of risk, but there is risk. And you also know that you've got to build them up and get them fit, which, I mean, being perfectly honest, isn't the ideal scenario because uh, I think Oberfamily won't start on Saturday. Uh, I think he will uh, be a bench option. And I think the same will apply uh, for. You know, like we we saw it with Tanganga. He came on in the closing, you know, twenty plus minutes or whatever it was that he got a Loftus this road. So, yeah, I mean, he did obviously very well at Burnley last year. Different scenario. They were they were one of the sides to be uh, in terms of winning the winning the division. But uh, it does give them another option. But yeah, so uh, interesting that they've done that. Indications from Joe Edwards on his press conference pre match uh, pre Preston. That they might do one or two more, a maximum of one or two more next week, uh, which I think you'll find there'll probably be younger players. That uh, we had a question asking, a, I, I tweeted about the fact that there was probably going to be set to be a prospect that came in. And I think there might possibly be might, might be a couple of younger players with really good potential that might come into the group before the window closes.
0: Yeah. In terms of what Buffemi seen and play live. Raw pace, really good raw pace. The the Mill will have a lot of that in in their team because um, they don't. I know they don't really play with wingers, do they? And it's sort of through the middle. So having someone like that is a real asset. And also, I I don't know whether it sounds a bit cliche, but to get to get these two player, Premier League players in is is, is uh, a massive achievement for Millwall so far in the in the January transfer window. Yeah, and I
1: think there's a hefty hefty cost element involved as well. You know, when you're signing these players, uh, it's not. I mean. I, ideal scenarios for signing players that you, you're gonna have on a permanent basis. But when you look at the finances involved, if you were trying to do a permanent deal for Oba I mean, wow, I don't know where you'd it would be well beyond whatever Mill would have spent ever before. So uh, yeah. and then you've got the salaries involved as well. So yeah, I think uh, I think they're 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 two sort of solid additions. I mean in terms of the in terms of the pace question Duncan Watmore's not sort of a slouch and his ability to run at teams as well is good. I think if you were looking at where they've got pace elsewhere, I mean, Brook Norton Cuffey uh, is one of those players that probably would, that would be able to, to supply that pace. He is very quick. Um, but, uh but yeah, so that's what I would... So he's probably the quickest of the, of the players they've got at the moment.
0: In terms of interviews this week from the... I, w- I went down to the den this week to speak to Jaffa Tanganga and Tanganga uh, and Joe Bryan. You've also got a bit in the paper with, with Ryan Longman this week, don't you, Rich?
1: Yeah, and also, I've got to bring this up. You, you've got VIP treatment down <clears> the <throat> den, which... I did. Uh, <laughs> You've seen as a future, Ed. I think, and a certain Max McClellan, who's excellent at sorting out the interviews for us. What did he give you for lunch?
0: Uh, jerk chicken and rice was very, very nice, very nice. But he's, I think, I mean, the, the, the term was that I was the young and up and coming star and they needed yeah. to look to the future.
1: I just, you know, like when, like, if you're a footballer and you feel wanted at a football club and things like that, <laughs> it's a it's sort of you know, I hear this and I. I got a cup of coffee made by Max, and Max cannot make cups of coffee. They're, they're horrendous. <laughs> and, like, you go down there, and it's like, you know, you get a breakfast if you went down in the morning or something. But anyway, yeah, you, you went down, um, which, was, which was great. It helped massively mm. with the production side of the paper this week because it was a bit tricky with everything going on. And, uh, yeah, enjoyed your pieces. Obviously, you, you spoke to Jaffa Tanganga, first newspaper interview uh, that he's done since he uh, since joined. How was he,
0: Ed? Yeah, really nice individual. Um, speaking to him, looking at him while he was answering, you could sort of tell this was someone who was looking to get their career back on track a little bit, obviously. Explosive start in terms of the Tottenham first team being handed his, his debut by Mourinho against uh, against Liverpool. Um, sort of in and out the team though, never really sort of got a clear run of games due to injuries goes on loan to Augsburg at the start of this season, fails to make a, a competitive appearance while he's out there, recalled, joined Millwall. Obviously, people saying, I'm sure you saw tweets, people like the Secret Scout saying, you, you go from being linked to AC Milan to joining to joining Millwall. There's obviously no disrespect to Millwall, but I think what he's saying was that Jeff at Tanganga was somewhere in his career where he thought he was going to to the big European stage, and now he's, he's playing his trade in the Championship for the first time, but... This was someone who who made it very clear Joe Edwards and Alex Aldridge presented to him and the style of play that Joe Edwards has and where he sees it fitting in was a massive sell to him. Um he looks like he really is really motivated to to wanting to make this this loan spell at Millwall a success. And it's quite a crucial one for him. I don't think there's a, I don't think he's under any illusion as to as to how crucial this is for him because he's out of contract next season. Um you know, this is the first time where he's going to have eyes on him back in England after going away to Germany and, and not playing a single minute. He was on the bench once, but apart from that, was left out the squad for the entire time. Um So this is a really big loan spell for him. And and I think he realises that. So, um yeah, usually with, with interviews, especially from Premier League, you can get them sort of quite media trained. But everything I could tell, Jaffa, was Quite an honest, uh, was was honest about his answers and, and wanted to come across that that he understands what what this loan spell could be for his career. So, 24, and uh, I think he's excited to see what it, what it could happen. So, yeah, and and Joe Bryan as well um, spoke really highly of, of Nino Adon Malakai. He's he's gone out on loan to to Sutton in League Two for his first first spell in League Two, uh, in EFL football. Um, spoke about how he sees himself as a little bit of a mentor to these younger players. He's obviously nearing 400 senior competitive games. I think he's 12 appearances away from it. So he says he knows when he when he can give them a joke or give them a little bit of a slap if they need it. or uh, And he knows how to give them a bit of a life advice as well from outside of football. So yeah, you can tell Joe Bryan, a really deep thinker, really articulate man. So um, yeah, hopefully they should read for, for good interviews in this week's paper. I'm Zion Fleming, and you're listening to the South London Press Football Podcast.
1: Okay, and welcome back to part of the South London Press Football Pod and it's actually one of them we're talking about. A couple of things to particularly talk about, I guess, first of all, Ed, is the, uh, is the Ali Elhamadi sort of situation. We've spoken about his future on quite a few occasions. Now, suggestions that uh, Ipswich have, have, have bid for the player, um, which probably, I think probably from indications we're getting is probably right, Uh the question yeah. is, are they going to get to a figure that's going to make the deal actually happen or not?
0: Well, I think Wimbledon would be loath to sell him this this January. If they sell him, it's sort of an admission, like they've done in the past two January windows, of selling Ayobasau and and Oli Palmer, that they're sort of throwing away the season a little bit. And alhamdi has obviously been their their star player in terms of goals and and, and goal contributions this season. Um, formidable striker in League Two, who's probably skipped. League One, just down to how good he's been for FC Wimbledon since joining from Wickham. Wickham obviously have a, a sizeable sell-on fee in any deal, so Wimbledon will be looking to to break their transfer for a record received in terms of the Phoenix era, which was the 1.2 million they got for Aybar last uh, last January. Um I think we'd assume they'd be looking at a valuation north of of two million for, for Hamadi. Um, I think this Ipswich bid, uh, if 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 that's what we're going to go with bids, is, is sort of um, might bring others out of the woodwork the likes of Hull, uh, Leeds Stoke have all been keen on our Hamadi in the past sort of months been in- intensely sort of scouting him so that's uh, it's one that could possibly sort of rumble on in the last week of the window I would say I don't think Wimbledon are keen for this to go to transfer deadline day and then left to be scrambling around for options on in the final hours of the window so I think our Al- hammadi being away for the Asia Cup might also play a Parton's being, uh, being a tricky one to do, but we certainly won't be letting Ali Alhamdi go for, for anything anything on the cheap.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think one of the indications we've had is that the offer from Ipswich is uh, just over a million or around that kind of figure that Ipswich mm. have come with. So, uh, you know, that 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 looks like the kind of ballpark figure. But this, as we know with transfers, it's negotiation, it's haggling, it's coming up. So. If that's an opening gambit, I would think we probably expect them to come back again, don't
0: we? Yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, I'm, I'm sure they would be coming. It's a bit like Palace with Wharton. You're not going to go in for a bid unless you're pretty sure that you can try and convince club and player that that this is the right place to play your football. Um uh, Hammond, might look at it as an opportunity that if he joins a club who, who are almost a Premier League team in waiting, in six months he could be playing Premier League football, and that's some rise from from being in League Two. That's no disrespect to where Wimbledon are, but. It's chalk and cheese, really, in terms of careers, and he's obviously made bold decisions already in his career, leaving Swansea, Tranmere as a youngster, leaving Wickham when he's in and around the first team to go and play regular football in League Two. So, um, yeah, you'd expect Ipswich, who are obviously in the market for a striker, let Freddie Ladapo go to to Charlton. Um, saw them at Plough Lane, looked like they could do with probably a, a, another another forward option. You think they come back in for him with uh, with, with sort of. More of a, a, a bid that would try and entice Wimbledon to try and accept it this time around. Obviously, Wimbledon would want to get this done pretty quickly. So uh, it could be one that moves moves quite fast pace.
1: I, we probably don't want to touch on it for too long because I'm sure Wimbledon fans don't want to talk about it. But the game the other day, uh, we won't mention the opposition's name. We won't really kind of touch on it too much there, but, but not the outcome that, that was wanted really the game sort of beyond them very early on in that first half and then two red cards to kind of rub sort into. Fairly nasty wounds, I would
0: say. Yeah, without doubt, AFC Wimbledon's worst forty minutes of the season was was that first half uh, in Buckinghamshire. Um, it's almost just like just the twelve minute spell. They really threw it away. It was it was really really poor. Sort of cut open with ease every time the the, the host went forward. It was uh, it looked like they were going to score. Obviously, the worst part about it probably for AFC Wimbledon is that is that Ryan Johnson got injured as well, and he's been one of the most consistent performers for Johnny Jackson this season. Um, and with Paul Kalambay and Hussein Baila being sent off in the second half, you're looking at Lee Brown or, or potentially youngster Ethan Sutcliffe, who's very highly rated, and I think we'll be getting a new contract at the club because um, he's out of contract in the summer, um, starting on Saturday against Mansfield. And it was always going to be a tough January for Wimbledon without Ali Alhamadi and Omar Bagel being away on international duty but the performances and the results haven't really come so John Kamani Gordon was a bright spark I expect him to start on Saturday his first start since joining on loan from Crystal Palace and they obviously also completed the signing of Ronan Curtis who if they can get him fit will be an exceptional League 2 footballer so there's there's positives to look at it I think Wimbledon could have got back into the game as well on Tuesday if James Tilly puts that one away before half-time and Armani Little scores just after half-time it's a completely different game but it wasn't to be one that they need to move on immediately from. And this game against Mansfield on Saturday is, is a big one.
1: Yeah, difficult game, isn't it? Mansfield third in the table. Uh, there's that sort of cluster. Well, top five have all got a kind of with five points between them. But uh, Wimbledon are four points off it. So, I mean, you'll be there on Saturday. So uh, extra incentive for them to deliver the goods that you're in the press box, mate. But uh, yeah, obviously yeah, they, they obviously don't want that gap to get too big, do they? Because, it, you know, with games beginning to tick down, that gap, suddenly a four or five point gap, if it gets bigger, can be more of an issue to kind of claw back.
0: Yeah, it feels like there's sort of three leagues at the moment. In League Two, you've got the, 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 the top, Sort of two or three, you've got the, the playoff chasing pack, and then you've got the ones just underneath it. And what Wimbledon, Wimbledon don't want to fall into the ones underneath it because it can become a real melee. Um, I think they saw quickly last season, and and interestingly enough, they have the same exact number of points after the same exact number of games that they did last season. So the team has sort of plateaued a little bit. Always going to be difficult for them in January, as I mentioned. But um, Omar Bugal could potentially be back for this weekend, not 100% sure on that. But obviously, Lebanon were knocked out of the Asia Cup. So um Johnny Jackson starting to get a few of his options back. And obviously, as I mentioned, John kamani Gordon looked bright on Saturday. So uh possibility for a bit more of a stronger AFC Wimbledon team to be to be lining up. However, the defence is is going to be a problem. It's going to be a real problem. Um it's gonna be interesting to see what he does because Lee Lee Brown has played centre back before, looked okay there, but um yeah, no easy game in League Two. So plenty of food for thought for, for Johnny Jackson ahead of Saturday. We're now going to wrap up episode 12 of the South London Press football pod with transfer deadline day being next Thursday. Not sure when we're going to get a pod in, but I promise you it's going to be as hectic as this week. So looking forward to it, Rich. Thank you again for joining me. No worries, Ed, and thanks for hosting. A Pleasure. And uh, stay up to date with all the transfer news, everything going on at our, our four main clubs this this weekend. Uh, only Palace not playing. So lots going on. And uh, obviously we charting on their managerial hunt as well. So, uh, yeah. Speak soon.